Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, as if we never left, to the Motivational Intelligence Podcast. I'm Sean Johnson. Today's episode is a conversation that I had with our very own John Casey. Uh, we covered a topic that is top of mind for a lot of people right now, which is innovation, uh, and specifically, how do we develop uh, a culture of innovation? So I think this is a particularly important topic because now we kind of live in the innovation era. I saw this study by McKinsey that change now happens 10 times faster at 300 times the scale and for 3,000 times the impact. So it's it's moving at the speed of light. Um, and it's, it's important for us to explore what does this mean for companies? And it, it you know really means they have to innovate. They have to innovate better. They have to innovate faster than they ever have before. And the they have to have a culture that perpetuates that innovation. It represents an unprecedented opportunity when it's done right. I mean, you look at a culture of innovation can disrupt markets and and you can be the next Netflix, the next Uber, the next Airbnb, the next Amazon. But when it's done wrong or really more importantly, not done at all, it's the kiss of death. I mean, you look at Sears, you look at Blockbuster, you look at Kodak, you look at Xerox. These are all companies that did not have a culture of innovation and now they don't really exist or they don't exist in the same capacity that they used to. So today uh, we we sat down with uh, I sat down with John Casey to kind of give us a masterclass in creating a culture of innovation. Um, so we cover a lot of different things. He defines for us what culture really is. Uh, he dives into the five pillars of what a culture of innovation, uh, of the five pillars of a culture of innovation. And we talk about a lot of uh, a lot of different things. One of which is uh, what really is human nature, uh, and it might be different than you think. So uh, we t- we deconstruct uh, innovation both on the individual contributor level as the leader of a team, and if you're an executive overseeing a a, a big organization, uh, how do you instill that? So uh, this will be a great episode for you if you're looking for ways that you can be or or have your team be more innovative. Um, so as always, leave us a review on Apple podcasts, uh, reach out to us, share this episode with, with your colleagues, uh, if you find it useful and, uh, and always feel free to reach out to us on LinkedIn, Twitter, um, Facebook, all those places, uh, and let us know how we can help you. Uh, what else you want to hear from us, uh, other episode ideas you have for us and all those good things. So without further ado, uh, enjoy this conversation on the culture of innovation with John Casey. The Motivational Intelligence Podcast is produced by the team at Two Logical. Two Logical is an international corporate training firm and the world's leading expert in motivational intelligence, which is the ability to understand, manage, and change the motives people have. Two Logical offers over 30 different keynotes, workshops, and full training courses to small, medium, and large Fortune 500 companies in 53 countries, a lot of which you're probably familiar with. Advisor, Bank of America, GE, Constellation Brands, P&G, and more. All solutions are completely customized and the feedback from these sessions will blow your mind. If you have any training or speaking needs or just want to say hey, head over to twological.com. We are back. John, this is the first time I've had a, a chance to do one of these with you. I'm kind of excited. Well, yeah. here we go. Here be, we go. Be gentle. You got some wisdom for us? 
Uh, allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> All right, perfect. Um, so what I leave some uh, <laughs> on your way out the door. I'll just make sure there's still some left. Okay. All right. All right. Well, we'll try to leave a little bit for you to, to take home with you. Um, so, uh, what I wanted to talk about today was there's a, a topic that seems to keep coming up, which is, um, innovation and specifically building a culture of innovation. Um, so I kind of wanted to pick your brain on that today. You know, I think it's, it's top of mind for a lot of people. We're kind of in the innovation era if you will. Um, I, I saw there was this uh, study that McKinsey came out with that change is now happening 10 times faster at 300 times the scale for 3,000 times the impact. Um, so obviously, this, this it's like kind of a big deal for, for companies. Well, you know, and if you think about it, um, the, the speed of business has accelerated so much in the last 20, 30 years. However, though, Sean, it is... The speed of business is not moving faster than the speed of thought. Mm. So we're still ahead. We can yeah. still think faster than uh, businesses uh, innovate. Um, however, most people don't think that they can uh, think fast or be ahead of the curve, if you will. Uh, so I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll touch more on that as we go. But yeah. uh, we're still ahead yeah. of the speed of business, our own human mind and thought process. All right. Well, that's that's definitely good news um, because obviously it's it's becoming more and more of a, um, a competitive necessity uh, these days. You, you have to innovate. You have to innovate better and faster than you ever have before. And there's crazy opportunity, you know, if, if you're able to, to put that together and put that culture of innovation together, which is you know, why we want to talk about this, you can be the next Netflix or Uber or Airbnb. You know, those were not first in their space necessarily, but they just came at it from a different uh, angle or they disrupted the existing model yeah. um, uh, through innovation. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of leveled the playing field uh, where, where smaller companies can outpace some of the bigger ones in their space uh, if they have that culture of innovation. And it's not just organizations, Sean. It's 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 people too. They have to reinvent their own personal brand, yeah, uh, and great. how they that. present themselves um, to their organization or, or to the marketplace. Yeah, uh, and that is something else that you know some older uh, tenured employees are necess aren't necessarily familiar with. Uh, so they may struggle with and overlook the fact that they got to innovate themselves. Yeah, well, that's a that's a yeah that's a great point. All right, we'll we'll definitely get into that. Um, because uh, I think there's a lot of directions we could take this this conversation. Um, uh, but so I guess let's start. You know, we're, we're kind of going to uh, what I want to do is is have us have you kind of give us a master class in in how do you build a, a culture of innovation? So maybe the simplest place to start is what is a culture of innovation? Well, I you know, obviously, <clears throat> Uh, culture is so important uh, these days, and it's not just uh, in the workplace. Uh, every home has a culture. Uh, every group has a culture. And, and all a culture really is is a shared set of beliefs uh, that are embraced by all. And, you know, these sets of beliefs come in many shapes and sizes, uh, it, but in the workplace they are tied to, you know, what does uh, the team believe about the organization and what it does and why it exists, uh, what the organization believes about um, the, uh, their customers, uh, their competitors, uh, each other, um, the other teams that make up the organization, senior management. So the more you delve into culture, the more you realize there's so many layers and slices of it. 
However, there are five key components of any innovative culture or any successful organization or person for that matter that seems to have stayed the same. So we know the, the pace of business is changing so rapidly. Uh, innovation, uh, creativity, they are all happening. Um, and change is just omnipresent. However, there are five things that have always stayed the same uh, as far as uh, creating a culture of, of success or winning or innovation. Uh, so these are the fundamentals, the basic uh, building blocks uh, of success, uh, including innovation. And they are, uh, as, as you know, and, and the listeners who are familiar with Too Logical realize, that's what we call motivational intelligence. It is simply accountability, adaptability, resilience, initiative, and courage. Uh, those five components are the drivers of not just innovation, but all human achievement. And, you know, here's the best news, Sean. We're born with them. <laughs> and, it, you, know, you know, it's funny. When, when you see, you know, a one-year-old child that really wants something, um, they don't give up quickly. Uh, they stay focused. Uh, and they keep at closing, if you will. If you're, you know, a salesperson, uh, they're always closing to, to ask. They're not afraid to ask. They're not afraid to make a mistake in public. Um, they have the courage to, um, you know, really try something new because that's all there is. Their whole world is new. So, you know, human nature um, is something that's precious. We're, we're born with this amazing spirit and will. However, what most people call human nature, what they really mean is human conditioning. Uh, because every time I hear, well, that's just human nature. <laughs> uh, they don't say it in a, in a kind manner. It's not a compliment. Yeah, it's, it's it's actually a drop down uh, from from higher standards. Yeah, um, and that's not the case. Human nature is pure spirit. It is that one year old child that's learning how to walk. Um, that will never give up on themselves, never judge themselves, never quit. Um, it's that two year old that wants another cookie. Um, they they just will always ask, and and they'll change decision makers, and they'll actually get a chair when when the adults have left the kitchen uh, and climb to get the cookie. You know, that, that drive, that motivation, that desire uh, to pull yourself up or to learn something new is what we're born with. And, you know, however, it, it gets conditioned out. And, um, you know, it takes real leaders in the workplace um, to often reignite that uh, with the, their employees, their, their, their team members. And creating a culture uh, of innovation really is the key to doing that. So... Um, you know, culture is a shared dominant set of beliefs held by the group. Yeah. And it actually becomes a filter that everything is seen through. Um, you know, it's funny. A lot of people, when they, you know, pull into their parking lot or if they're working from home, they kind of get in their workspace and they almost take their existing glasses off and put on new glasses. And I'm speaking metaphorically here. And these glasses, they become a filter with which they see things through. Um, and they may have to change their glasses multiple times a day. But the work glasses that many people put on are, are somehow limited or, or they filter out, you know, what is possible, the potential that we have as a group. Um, you know, each and every individual's specialized knowledge that they can bring to bear. Um, the, the fact that everybody that's on a team at work has become a master of hundreds or thousands of things over the journey of their lives. So they're, they're very good at developing skills, whether it's in their hobbies or just, you know, day-to-day -day, uh, managing a household. You know, people are really good at developing new skills, uh, innovating at home or in their hobby. 
it's just that they don't have that same way of thinking when they come to work. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's 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 a, a lot of things that that, that yeah. we can do, but really that first key in, in creating a culture of innovation and creativity in the workplace is to really instill those five components of motivational intelligence, uh, because you can't innovate if you're prone to excuse and blame. Yeah. Um, if if you uh, lack or, or don't like change and your lack adaptability, innovation is out the window. Um, if you can't stick with something new uh, until you get some traction, if you don't have that resilience, innovation isn't going to happen. Um, if there's no initiative being taken by individuals or teams uh, within the company, the company's not going to be able to innovate. And the courage to maybe let go of the status quo or the old way of doing things uh, has to be in place uh, before innovation can become part of the culture. So really, the, the first steps are creating a culture of motivational intelligence, which are the actual drivers of creativity and innovation and all human achievement. So that would be kind of the first step. And it's a big step. And it's yeah. layered as well. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack there. I, you know, first, I uh, I think, you know, I'd love to dive into to those five things a little bit more in in, in regards to um, particularly how they how they relate uh, to innovation, but I kind of want to start with um, you know I love that definition of culture of it's the dominant thoughts and beliefs of a group of people, um, and obviously there's there's specific thoughts and beliefs relative to you know innovation and and success, but it just seems to make so much sense um, you know looking at that and it's it's kind of. Uh, even looking at, you know, even outside the workplace, just in terms of cultures, you look at cultures around the world, and that's really kind of what they are, right? It's it's how a group of people, you know, in a certain country or of a, of a, a specific religion or whatever it is, what they think and believe about the world, right? Well, yeah, without question. Um, and, it you know, we're members of, each of us are members of maybe dozens or scores of cultures. Um, and we we cycle through different groups. You know, if if you're uh, a fan of a certain sports team, <laughs> you have a, a shared set of beliefs, uh, dominant beliefs about that team. Yeah. And um, you know they're pretty common. Uh, so if you meet a total stranger that happens to be a fan of the same team you are, you immediately have a bond. You immediately share some of the same beliefs, some of the same history, some of the same stories and examples. Uh, and it's magic, and you know you you immediately have rapport with that person. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh, so you know we bump through these different uh, you know concentric circles or bubbles, if you will, uh, throughout our workday, and and we all have one at home too. Uh, and you know it's it's interesting. Most people unconsciously go throughout their day not even realizing that they're bumping around different cultures, uh, and some they like, and some they get frustrated around, and you know they should look a little closer. Uh, at why they, um, you know, feel more comfortable in, in this culture or this group versus that one. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things we all know is that, you know, in someone's hobby uh, that they get to choose um, or someone's group of friends that, again, they get to choose, uh, they have so much, um, you know, higher level uh, emotions and ways of looking at things than they do in other areas. Uh, maybe that are not necessarily what they think their choice is. So we'll, we'll delve into some of this a little bit more, but just being aware of the different cultures that you move throughout uh, during the day. And, you know, in most people's hobbies, um, they are innovative. 
um, they, they, they push themselves. Uh, they read uh, maybe uh, periodicals about that, uh, that hobby or that sport or that interest. Um, they are interested in new technology about that hobby. Um, without being told, they will do discretionary effort, put, put themselves out there and, and, and learn new things and try new things. And it's their hobby. And, you know, that could be brought into work, too, that same type of mentality. Um, you know, same is true for uh, other things that people feel really confident about. Um, they are open uh, to trying new things and pushing themselves. I know a lot of golf hobbyists, and they read the magazines, and they buy the new clubs, and they're up on the latest techniques and all of that. And I'm thinking, that's exactly how you succeed at work, too, if you want to be innovative. Yeah. Um, so, you know, most people, I think, Sean, the biggest challenge is most people don't believe they're good at change or innovation. Yeah. Uh, and frankly, um, that thought uh, is the problem because they're probably wrong. They probably are fairly adept at it in certain areas of their lives, and then they overlook it. So they, they kind of look at their whole realm of innovation as something that they're not good at because they're not good at it at work or in this pocket of their life, and then they use that to spread throughout uh, they, they, how they see everything. Um, most people, as you and I know, um, most people are far more uh, powerful and capable than they think they are. Um, you know, I, I think it was um, Michelangelo that said, uh, you know, and I'm not doing it in his exact words, but uh, he said, yeah, most people don't uh, aim too high and, and miss. They, they aim too low and hit. Um, so one of the most important things about really creating a culture of innovation and creativity uh, is removing some of the flawed or limited uh, beliefs about people's ability to do it or organizations' abilities to do it. Yeah. So what are, you know, uh, what are some of those those flawed or, or limiting beliefs uh, or thoughts about it that, that people should be looking out for? Because I, I think there's a, you know, uh, a good point that, that you brought up earlier where the the human nature people look at it as as a, a negative but but after so long it's really more human conditioning and if you go back to what is actually human nature people are born with with all of these things so it's it's almost not even adding new layers but kind of removing the the layers that have been conditioned on top of them that to get them where they need to go yeah you know it's I, I, I you know if we could plot out when the first year um, a human makes an excuse it, it's not until um, you know, after maybe even four or five, yeah. uh, they are not pointing fingers um, uh, up until much later in their life. And, you know, you know, we're born without any skill. Um, you know, we got this blank slate. You know, we, we get three gifts at birth. We get unlimited potential. Um, we get a human mind, uh, the most powerful supercomputer we'll ever use in our lives. And we get a blank slate. Uh, there's no, you know, we, we've we decoded the entire human genome. 85% go to uh, the central nervous system and, and our brain, and 15% go to our physical characteristics. So no, no genes really go to skill. Um, we have to develop those on our own. And, you know, we're born without uh, any skill. And, you know, if you think about it, um, a baby sets out very early in, in their lives as soon as they can realize that takes they're the only one crawling. It takes a long time to, to get from point A to point B. They, they figure out they got to learn how to walk. And you know, we're not genetically wired to walk. we got to figure it out. And you know, it's one of the hardest things we'll ever do. And it, you know, it takes many, many months to do it. And we fall down 240 to 280 times. We don't see mistakes the same way. And, and, and eventually, we figure out mobility and then communication and then personal hygiene and all these things. And you know, by the age of four or five, we've actually started to develop 
you know, hundreds of abilities, skills, things that, that we can do. Um, and they're all through innovation because they're all foreign, uh, unknown at the outset. So we are amazing innovators very early and often uh, in our lives. And if you think about most adults today, Sean, I suspect most people know how to do hundreds or thousands of things. Yeah, it's probably pretty staggering if you actually, you know, took pen to paper with it. Yeah, just, you know, I know you and I know you know how to use dozens, maybe scores of computer programs, software programs. I don't, but, you know, <laughs> all of those didn't come easily uh, and you've had to figure out how to do one. And, you know, so we're really good at change. We're really good at innovation. We're really good at learning new things. We're really good at developing uh, new skills, patterns or habits. Uh, most people just don't think they are. And, um, you know, when it, when it comes down to it, um, you know, as the old saying goes, uh, you know, if, if you believe it, you can achieve it. If you can think it, if you can create it in your mind, uh, you can find a way to do it. And, um, you know, that's uh, a message that everybody should remind themselves periodically through and then share amongst others. Because as individual professionals, uh, as members of families, uh, as is employees, um, we have to make ourselves better. It's our responsibility. We have to innovate. We have to find ways to do our job better. We have to find suggestions we can help our organizations with. Um, we have to become uh, better at our roles that we want to be better at, uh, home and work. And, you know, just the, the fact that I, I believe every child believes that their best them is still in their future. Yeah. Well, I, I believe even for uh, some of us old dogs that um, our, our best uh, us is in our future. Um, let's go meet them. Let's go. Let's go find them. Let's run towards that person. And uh, um, you know, it's fraught with some risk and, and maybe making a mistake or two. Um, but you know, what do we learn more from mistakes or successes? I, I think it's mistakes. So, you know, the, there's some pitfalls that most people uh, uh, fall into when they want to be more innovative and creative. However, they're created by themselves. They're imaginary. Um, you know, most barriers are um, fake. Yeah. And I, you, you kind of touched on them, but, you know, maybe it's, I think it would be helpful. What are those pitfalls? What are those barriers? What are those those flawed or, or limiting thoughts or beliefs that are holding people back? I can't do it. Uh, <laughs> this is easier for others. Um, I'm, I'm good at those things over there, but not this thing. Um, other companies do it better. Other people do it better. Um, I, I, I don't have enough education. I have too much education. I have the wrong education. Um, there are so many fake things. Um, and, and frankly, Sean, an excuse or a rationalization is a lot easier um, to throw out there than to actually mentally do the work to figure out what is, in fact, holding me back. It, it is artificial, and why am I letting that bug me? That doesn't stop a two-year-old. Yeah. Why is it stopping me? Um, it's imaginary barrier, uh, just realizing that. Uh, because, you know, the, the greatest paralyzer in all of human history is fear and self-doubt. And it's made up in the mind of the individual. And, yeah, to continue this ironic, crazy thing of imaginary stuff, uh, the antidote uh, to self-doubt and, and, and fear uh, is something else that's also imaginary, which is courage, uh, which the little kids seem to have a, a lot of. Um, adults don't seem to have much of. 
anymore. And I, I, don't, I don't think there's a, a fuel tank that's filled when we're born, and then as soon as you use it all, it's gone. I think we can fill up the tank anytime we want. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 you know, maybe it's returning back to the fundamentals of success because we are born innovative and creative, and we don't stop until pretty much we're told to stop. And that usually begins at about the age of four and five, and then limits are placed upon this unlimited potential we're born with. And, you know, most people then take some of those flawed and limited beliefs into the workplace with them, or they take them to school. And, you know, I remember when I was in school, I felt I was good at this subject, but not that one. And the, the, the grades agreed. Um, but maybe it was my thought that kicked off the, the whole thing. So, you know, a, a lot of the stinking thinking that grownups have, have developed over the course of their journey is flawed. It is inaccurate. Um, and they've actually done a pretty good job of spreading it, though. <laughs> uh, so, you know, when we speak about culture, um, culture is, is a mass invisible force. And if you can create a culture of innovation and creativity, then that has a life of its own. Then those are the glasses. Those are the filters that people put on in the parking lot before they walk into their workspace or before they actually get in their workspace if they're working out of their home and really set their head uh, about what it is they got to do that day. Um, you know, most people unconsciously don't do a very good job of setting um, uh, the mindset, their mindset for their day. Um, but once it's done, like at some of those companies that you read about, some of the great innovators from all time or some of the new ones, uh, they really do have a process for creating a culture uh, of uh, innovation. And it's, you know, it's not something that's hard to do because it's the truth. Um, everyone's adaptable. Everyone's uh, uh, accountable um, or has demonstrated it in pockets of their life. Everybody uh, has exhibited resilience. Everybody has taken the initiative. Uh, and everybody's demonstrated courage. So, so these five things are not foreign to humans or organizations. And, you know, all companies really need to do is look back at their last innovation, look back at the last time they were creative, and try to examine, you know, what were the shared dominant beliefs at that time. And then they'll get a whole lot better at duplicating that. Yeah. So I, I think it would be helpful, you know, I think there's, it's really, it's coming back to, you know, to, to kind of summarize a lot of, of what you've been talking about. It's really making sure we're instilling the, the proper beliefs in ourselves, in our team, and, and across the organization that is going to set us up for, for this culture of innovation where we can pump out these, these new inventions and new products and new services and new ways to look at things. So maybe it would be helpful if we kind of break it down into, uh, into those kind of three, three categories of if I'm an individual, how do I go about you know, rebranding myself, I guess, as it were, into becoming more innovative? And then we can go into, if I'm the leader of a team, what do I do? And if I'm an executive looking to you know, instill this across you know, thousands of people, how do I go about that? Yeah, you bet. You bet. Um, well, and we can actually uh, break that down in, in the order of um, what we think is uh, the, the flow of, of, of motivational intelligence, and it all starts with accountability. As an individual contributor or as an employee of an organization, uh, the, one of the worst ways you could brand yourself is by um, making an excuse, um, giving up, uh, you know, rolling up the white flag. Uh, yes, it's easy to do. Uh, yes, it, 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 it releases 
pressure if you have an out, uh, but it doesn't brand you uh, for the long term uh, very well. And, um, you know, most people give up far too quickly and then they have an out. They point to another team, perhaps at their company, uh, as the problem or the customer or the market or the government or their boss or whatever. And that is a, uh, a, a slow, torturous route to mediocrity and a bad professional reputation. Uh, it was Benjamin Franklin that said, uh, those that are good at making excuses are seldom good for anything else. And, ben you know, it, 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 <laughs> Sean, it doesn't matter what your IQ is, uh, how many letters you have at the end of your name regarding your, you know, formal education. It doesn't matter who your grandparents or parents were. If you're an excuse maker, if you're a blamer, if you're a finger pointer, um, you're not necessarily going to be seen as a good team member or people are going to want to work with you. Uh, so accountability, owning it. Um, and that can take several forms. The first is, how do I master my role as quickly as possible? Um, I master my role at work. Uh, you know, if you're a parent, how do you master your role as a parent? Uh, if you have a, a, a life partner, how do you master your role as a life partner? Other than that, what other roles do you want to master? There's probably not many. Um, so uh, the key to it for an individual contributor is to really own um, that mastery of holding self accountable, uh, not pointing fingers, not making excuses. Really just making that decision. Yeah. You draw a line in the sand. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I think you, that's that's probably uh, the the probably part of the limiting uh, thing for for a lot of people is they don't look at it as a, as a decision. They, they don't don't look at it like it that it's even in their control. Yeah. yeah you know, <laughs> of course. Uh, and, and they can make an excuse to support another excuse. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, and then they got a house of cards that can easily be blown over. And, um, you know, sadly, they are probably exerting the same amount of mental time and energy to come up with defending their excuses. Um, than it would have taken to actually find a new way of looking at the problem and, and trying a different way or two. Yeah. So, you know, one of the ways to do this um, as a boss or a culture um, is to create a, kind of a no complaints without suggestions approach uh, to engaging your team members, to engaging your other uh, teams, um, uh, to really looking at any problem or project uh, when people start to put the white flag up, put it on them. What do you suggest? Yeah. Um, you know, doing this uh, as far as a culture uh, regarding accountability, um, you know, you can, you can do that right from the recruiting and interviewing and onboarding process. You define the culture. This is who we are. This is why we exist. This is what we do. This is why our standards are higher than anybody else's. And by the way, championship teams, don't point fingers. We don't make excuses. So at this company, and this is right in the orientation, right in the interview, we don't say things like, it's not my job. Or they didn't call me back. That's why I didn't get it done. Or, you know, the, the common excuses, uh, that's above my pay grade. Uh, no, I'm not trained for that. Uh, no, nobody showed me where. I couldn't find out where to get the information. None of that needs to be in place ever. Um, so, you know, it's funny, when, when people are in a job, they do that job probably more than anybody else. There might be a couple people that do it at their company, but when you think about it, nobody does their job more than they do. So 
Shouldn't they be the expert? Shouldn't they be the one to come up with suggestions on how to make it better? Yeah, it should be their responsibility because they're an expert. Nobody does it better. And instead of just complaining about the, the, the hard stuff or the difficult stuff that they have to do, make a suggestion. So no complaints without suggestions is a real key cornerstone uh, of a, a, count, a culture that holds themselves accountable. Yeah, and I would think, you know, for, um, I, I think, would think probably for a lot of, you know, culture-wide, it, it's also, it's making uh, people feel empowered to be able to do that, to be able to, to make that change, to be able to make that improvement where they don't feel like they're going to get slapped down or they're going to get in trouble for, for trying to find a better way. Empowering, Sean, is just that. It is, it, it, it is a, an uplifting thing. And, you know, instilling a no complaints without suggestions culture uh, is just that. It is a way to elevate your employees, even newer employees, even younger employees. Hey, listen, we love your fresh perspective. And, you know, you've been doing this uh, a lot. It might only be three months or six months. Um, you know, what do you like about what you do? What frustrates you about what, what you do? What suggestions might you have? Um, you are our latest expert in this area. Um, and, you know, we want to know what you think about improving it. Uh, and I love asking this question a lot to folks, too. Um, you know, if this were your small family business, what would you do differently? It's a great question. So giving them the platform that they've earned, they've deserved, they do their job more than anybody else does. Let's elevate them, put a spotlight on them, and ask them how they would improve it and why. And, you know, that's a very subtle way to really instill some of this uh, accountability that's really one of the first cornerstones of uh, innovation and creativity. Yeah, for sure. And it, it seems like it would be, you know, kind of a, a domino that would knock into a lot of the other characteristics that, and, and cornerstones that you were talking about. I mean, even just that in and of itself where you have a, a no excuses or no complaints without, without solutions or suggestions, and empowering people to make those changes, that's inherently going to make you more adaptable. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that. Uh, that that's exactly right. The, the first two components, or the first and the last component of motivational intelligence, uh, accountability and, and courage, are actually like umbrellas uh, that go over all the other ones as well. Hmm. Uh, because we need a little bit of accountability and a little bit of courage throughout all of those other ones. Uh, so that's exactly right. Uh, because if someone is prone to excuses, and finger pointing, you're right. They're not going to be very adaptable, resilient. They're not going to necessarily take initiative and, you know, whatever. They'll be paralyzed by fear and doubt. Yeah. So, uh, you know, kind of moving down the, the line is uh, what should, how, how should people be going about, you know, either as, uh, like, like we've kind of said, either as an individual, as a, a leader of a team or, or an executive uh, overseeing an entire organization, how can they make their themselves or their team or, you know, those those thousands of people in their workforce, how can they make be, become more adaptable? Well, you know, it's it's funny. Adaptability uh, is something that everyone's good at um, within their comfort zones. Uh, yeah. You know, where they where people are confident, they push themselves. Where yeah. they lack confidence, they don't. So, you know, again, this is something that is not foreign to people. And I think as leaders, uh, whether it's self-leadership or leading uh, a team or, or leading an enterprise, uh, it, it, it really is about reminding everybody of these principles that we have these things inside of us. So why not collect 
stories um, for the individual on your team. Uh, you know, first of all, if, if you're a boss, um, hopefully you have built rapport with each and every team member, and and you know their strengths and weaknesses. You know um, where their sweet spots are outside of work, their hobbies, uh, their faith, their 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 family, uh, whatever it is that drives them out of work. You ought to know those things. Um, so so building rapport and getting to know your 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 people is, is is so important. And you know if you work on a team, getting to know the teams that are on either side of you. Uh, again, it's called building rapport. It's a huge leadership ac- activity, but it's through building rapport that you can really uncover uh, the the great tool, uh, and that is past examples. That is success stories of where um, adaptability has been exhibited in their personal life outside of work. You know, maybe they had to work uh, two jobs while they were taking, uh, uh, going to college and taking classes, and they just found out how to manage everything in the same 24 hours. Reminding people of that adaptability when they were going through a difficult or a real trying time of their life is huge. What about past examples of where the company adapted? And if it didn't, it'd be out of business. Uh, or where this team, maybe it was when the team was first created and how they found uh, their footing. You know, there's no shortage. All we got to do is is look for examples of where individuals, teams, or organizations have adapted before and just continue to tell those stories. They're all over the news. They're all over current events. Um, you know, so, you know, building rapport, knowing your people, and then really tell them back the stories um, that uh, are not up for debate. They're fact-based stories. And, uh, that really helps give people that shot in the arm and that dose of confidence to say to themselves, wow, yeah, we can do this. You know, how, how can we change the way we see this? How can we change the way we execute it? And, and really have some more uh, answers come from, from that approach. Yeah. Well, I would think, you know, even for, for, you know, external examples outside of, you know, even an individual or, or an organization, just seeing that other people do it builds, ha- have done it and have done it before builds a lot of confidence. And then even on top of that, this notion that we've done this before. Yeah. That, that's a huge confidence builder. Well, yeah. It, it, and, and, and we all have in multiple areas of our lives. And, you know, if you really want a really big shot in the arm, go, go find a one or a two-year-old and just observe them. Yeah. And just that's all they're doing. That's all they're doing. And they seem to be very calm and relaxed doing it. They seem to be pretty happy. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and, you know the, the curiosity, and that's another thing that I think is a is a is a is a fuel source um, and a driver of innovation and creativity um, that that gets overlooked. Um, you, you know, it's funny you watch a you know one year old crawling around on the ground, and you know they're just so unaware. They've got so little skills and experience, but yet they're <laughs> curious as all get out. And you know they bump into any foreign object they've never seen before, and they stop, they slow down. And, they take a close look at it, and then they pick it up, and they're looking at it over, and they're feeling it. And then, of course, it goes in the mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of young parents think that the kid's going to eat that thing. And no, they, they are not, actually. They may, but what they are trying to do is understand it. Uh, and they try to get all their senses involved. This this is something new. I really want to understand it. So they see it. They touch it. They feel it. Um, they, they feel how heavy it is, and, 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 and then they put it in their mouth to get their, their other senses involved. And it, you know, it's amazing, the, the curiosity. And, of course, when they turn two and three and four, they start to talk a little bit. And, of course, their their favorite one-word question is, it's only three letters, and it is, 
why? <laughs> you know, why? And, you know, and, and then the parent ans- answers the question, and then they ask, why to that? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the, the, the three and four-year-old is twisting up their parent, and they're winning the why game just because they ask why every time. Yeah. Uh, and the parent gets frustrated very often, and they say, because I said so. And, yeah. then, and, then, and then they begin to squash curiosity, and, yeah. and, and then maybe it gets conditioned out. But, you know, here's a tip for the parents that are losing the why game with the three and the four and the five-year-old. Here's how you win the game. When the three or four or five-year-old says, why, mommy, or why, daddy? And, and here's our response. Well, why do you think? And that's how you turn the tables. There you go. Um, and you give them, obviously, this is top of their mind. Let them have the first shot. They are thinking about this topic. Same is true at work, folks. Um, people come and ask you why. Let them go first. That's another great leadership tool, letting others speak first as well, uh, so you know where their head and heart are. So, um, you know, we're all uh, adaptable. We're all creative. We're all innovative. Um, and it comes down to uh, that curiosity. So draw it out through through why questions, and you'll probably get a lot more purchase and People kind of come into the, the way you see things, uh, but then figuring out how, how they see it initially is, is is another good step as well. Yeah. All right, so let's keep going down the line. Um, uh, I mean, I, I guess before we do, just I think that's a a point well taken, where you know tying back to what you had said, kind of towards the beginning about what really is human nature, and it is you know humans are curious by nature, and uh, it's I think it's important to remember that. Um, you know, in terms of, in terms of innovation, um, because those curiosities are all ultimately oftentimes what ends up to the breakthrough idea. We, we don't, Sean, we don't need anything new. Everything we need uh, to build um, the, an innovative future, uh, the life that we've dreamed of, uh, the next iteration of our team or our firm, uh, everything we have, or everything we need, we already have, uh, and it's all on the inside. Uh, it's our own wisdom. It's our own experience. It's our own way of looking at things. It's our own way of questioning. Uh, and we can drive it up or it down. Uh, and we get to, to pick which which direction we go in. Yeah. So uh, if we if we keep going, um, you know, the, the next the next pillar we're talking about is resilience. So if I'm an individual or I'm a leader or I'm an executive, how do I go about becoming more resilient or uh, making my team or, or organization more resilient? Well, yeah, there's a couple ways to do it. Um, never, ever say, we tried that once. Um, <laughs> that should be stricken uh, from the corporate lexicon um, because I, I, I know few, if any, things uh, that worked the first time. Um, so, you know, it's funny. And I we ask some of our clients, as you know, you know, hey, have you tried this or that? And yeah, we tried that once, you know, three years ago. It didn't work. So we're not going to do it again. And, you know, that's obviously not the, the right way of thinking. And, you know, again, we go, we go back to telling stories. Um, you know, we all know uh, if you studied uh, Thomas Edison that, you know, on his 10,000th try, he was right. You know, it took him 10,000 failed experiments to create the incandescent light bulb. Uh, to, to make one that actually worked. Um, so he just never gave up. And, you know, it's funny. He was lambasted for, for being a big failure. Uh, and he, he said to the reporter that called him the biggest failure in America because he tried and failed 10,000 times to do something. He said, no, you're looking at it wrong. 
I successfully identified 10,000 ways in which it wouldn't work. <laughs> and then he tied that down with, uh, I guess it was a 10,000-step project. <laughs> you know, um, going back to the one-year-old learning how to walk. Well, and that is, that's such a different way of looking at it. Yeah. That, you know, it's, 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 you know it's, it's, it's a great story, but it is, if you really slow down and think about it, like that is so different than the way most people would look at that. They'd be, you know, pounding their head, feel like they're pounding their head against a brick wall. Uh, yeah, I, I wonder if he said after each failed experiment, well, one step closer. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's one right. more I can cross off. Well, you got to imagine something like that is is all that could have been keeping him going because if he didn't really, if he wasn't saying that, you know, yeah. at what point was he getting right. frustrated and thrown in the towel? You know, uh, maybe he just reminded himself uh, after every failed experiment um, of when uh, he was a child, um, that he fell down 240 to 280 times before he figured out how to walk. And uh, by the way, those statistics are are valid and they apply to everybody who is walking. Yeah. Um, you know, so the, the resilience to stick with it and do it with the right headset is really the key. Um, you know, and it goes back to how we look at mistakes and feedback. Um, you know, mistakes are okay as long as we don't repeat them. Uh, we learn more from them than we do our successes. So, you know, clearly, um, if people have the wrong view of mistakes, they avoid um, activities or people or opportunities where they could make them. And if you're afraid to make mistakes, guess what? You ain't going to be a good innovator. Yeah. Um, because you'll be so, you know, you know, gripped by, you know, how people might see me if I make a mistake or if I get this wrong or maybe I'll just sit back and continue to analyze and get paralyzed and do nothing. And, you know, it's just, just do it, um, yeah. you know, and, 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 and take the feedback that you get. Um, because if you look at feedback the right way, um, you never lose. You, you either win or learn. Um, because, you know, if it goes the way you want, you win. If it doesn't, you learn something. You get an education. So I think people have to look at life as a win or learn um, uh, uh, philosophy rather than win or lose. I think win or lose, if people look at this thing in front of me or this goal or this project or whatever it is, if they look at it as a win or learn uh, or win or lose thing, uh, they're going to shrink. Um, and they're, they're not going to push themselves uh, as fast or as far as they could. So that's why, as some of uh, two logical folks know, I, I say today I want to learn every morning uh, in the mirror, uh, regardless if I'm working or not, because every day can be put into one of those two <laughs> categories, and winning or learning, they're both positive. And that's how you can build every day as positive. Win or learn. Yeah, win or learn. All right, that's a good one. Um, how about initiative? You know, if, if I'm... If I'm trying to get myself, I feel stuck. You know, I'm trying to get myself going. I can't seem to get myself, you know, whether it is at work or, you know, if a lot of people have that that feeling with, I can't seem to get myself to the gym or I can't seem to, whatever it is, they feel stuck. How do I get myself going? Or or I'm, I'm a leader. How do I get my team going? Or how do I get these 5,000 people working for me as an executive going? You betcha. Um, you know, initiative, uh, again, I, I've never met a non-goal-directed you know, one- or two-year-old. Um, as a matter of fact, that's that's how they build their day, uh, you know, usually through goals. And, you know, anybody that's studied human psychology and the human mind knows that, um, you know, goals are software uh, for the mind. Um, however, 
most adults aren't goal-directed. Most adults have never even taken the time or energy to write down a, a list of goals or dreams. Uh, and, and fewer still, way less than 1%, have actually built a plan on how to achieve those goals or dreams. So um, that's the first solution. Um, become more goal-directed. Uh, and there's a simple way to do it. And we have encouraged uh, organizations to do this with their employees and even in their onboarding process. It's a simple exercise. Anybody can do it. Uh, it's called making a be, do, and have list. And if you like to travel, you can add a fourth category, go. But to really become more goal-directed and more initiative-prone, it requires goals. And having a list of things that you want to be, do, and have is the first step. Because goal-directed people that understand what they want to be, do, and have move differently than everybody else. They're better at saying no. They're better at saying yes. They're better at making sacrifices. They're better at time management. Uh, they're better at so many things just because they have goals and they keep them top of mind. So um, I had a mentor very early in my life that made me do one of these be, do, have lists. And, and I was, it was so foreign to me. I'd never written down a goal in my life. And it was, it, it was awkward. Uh, and I was embarrassed to do it. And I didn't want to do it. Um, and then eventually I just started writing some things. And then it kind of took on a life of its own. And then, you know, over the course of 20, 25 minutes, I'd, I'd had over 60 things. So simple stuff. Um, but also big stuff, too. Uh, and, and my boss took the time um, to ask me, you know, what was on my list that I was really wanting. And it was buying my first house. And um, he made that important to him. And, uh, you know, I was a sales guy with a quota, and he rarely, if ever, spoke about quota. Um, he spoke about the plan to get the house. And 16 months after I did my first be, do, have list, I, I bought my first house. Um, and I, I, I said no uh, to, to things uh, that wouldn't help me, and I said yes to things that would. So I got better at a lot of things because I became more goal-directed, and I took the initiative and it was my goal. It wasn't my boss's goal. So uh, I have taken uh, that be, do, have list exercise and have done it with many, many, many people, including my, my children. Mm -hmm. uh, I want them to grow up goal-directed. Goal so having initiative, um, personal and professional goals, knowing what your team goals are, knowing what your company goals are, knowing what the goals are and where initiative is being taken by the other teams that you work with. Finding out all that is really important to be a great individual comp contributor, to be a great boss, or to be a great executive. Uh, it is about goal direction. And, you know, the, the, the line I'll never forget, uh, the very first time I, I made a list of my goals, the things I wanted to be, do, and have, uh, my mentor, as I was leaving his office that day, um, he, he said to me, he says, John, you did something really, really important today, something that many have never done or never will do. And uh, he says, never forget the following. If you are not working on your own goals, you are working on someone else's. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> and I, I think, you, you know, uh, you touched on uh, uh, an important point there, too, which is, not only, you know, uh, particularly from a, um, a leadership perspective, 
not only making sure people know the company goals or the team goals, but, you know, what your mentor did was really align that with your personal goals. Mm. You know, he wasn't talking to you about here's your your specific work goal. Uh, He wasn't talking to you about the quota. He was talking to you. You know, you knew that was there, but he was really talking to you about the house. And I think that that alignment's in a, a, an important point. Well, I think he, like all great mentors, uh, know the very uh, simple philosophy of the following statement. It is always in the want to that people will discover the how to. And all he did was continue to stoke my want to, my, my want to to buy the house. And it was funny, uh, if I had a bad um, week of production or <laughs> no production, uh, he, and he'd got the report already, and he'd say, Don, tell me about your productivity this week. And I'd have to bear my soul that it wasn't all that good. And so he would usually say something like, are you telling me you don't want the house anymore? And, oh, no, no, I do, I do, I do. He goes, all right, let's uh, figure out how to get back on track. So, you know, metrics, um, spreadsheets, reports, they don't motivate or inspire anybody, I don't think. Um but your first house does. And um, that's what he would use. And he would always make it my idea to push myself uh, higher and farther uh, and produce more. And, um, you know, after I got the house, he said, all right, what's next? And then we moved on to another one. Uh, So uh, it was a great, great experience as a young professional. Um, But everybody can be their own best mentor. Uh, if they understand, you know, motivational intelligence and how important, you know, innovation and creativity are not just in their profession, but in their life. Yeah, for sure. So let's let's tie it up with, you know, the the other umbrella that we mentioned at, at the beginning of this, you know, the first being accountability. Uh, the second um, and, and last pillar of second umbrella and last pillar of, of motivational intelligence being courage. Um Fear can be paralyzing, uh, and I think that's something uh, pretty much everybody listening to this, I know myself included, uh, we've all experienced that emotion of fear. How, you know, if, if you are gripped with that, or you're a leader and you can sense that your team is gripped with that, or, or you know, there's something going on in the industry and, and the whole company is kind of freaking out about something, um, uh, how do you instill that sense of courage? Yeah, no doubt. In you know, why does it wane um, as we go through the single digits uh, and, and move towards adolescence? I, I I don't know, but you know, I, I most grownups I I see are, are just paralyzed um, yeah. by by fear that's imaginary, and you know, frankly, you know, most people, you know, ninety percent of what most people worry about uh, is 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 wrong because ninety percent of what most people worry about is either a stuff that happened in the past, um, you know, b stuff they have no control over, uh, you know, or c negative stuff that will never happen in the future. And it's like, man, it's like dominates their mind all day long. No wonder they don't get much done. Yeah, um, I think was it is the Mark Twain quote. It was uh, I've experienced a great many troubles in my life, most of which never happened. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, our, our imagination, you know, talk about innovation and creativity, and the fuel of that is imagination. But sadly, most people use uh, their imagination um, uh, to, to grip themselves with, with fear. They they contemplate uh, all the worst-case scenarios that can happen. And I mean, 
I'm sorry, negatively predetermining the outcome of something before it happens, A, increases the likelihood of it turning out negative, yeah. uh, and B, paralyzes the heck out of you. So stop it. Um, <laughs> you know, Maya Angelou said that courage is the most important of all the virtues because without courage, you can't practice any other virtue consistently. So, you know, it's funny where, where people feel strong and confident, uh, you know, in their comfort zones, uh, the things they think they're good at, the things they like to do, uh, they seem to have courage uh, to push themselves a little bit further. Uh, but it's outside of their comfort zone uh, where the courage seems to go away and fear seems to take its place. Uh, and that's where they're gripped um, a, a little bit. So one of the things that, that leaders or anyone can do is just to remind ourselves all the time uh, on our journey that we faced fear and doubt and blasted through it, overcame it, whether it was the first big presentation or the first sale or the first this, that, or the other. Um, you know, it's it, we can let it para, paralyze us if we want. But, but we don't have to. Uh, it is imaginary. And, um, you know, again, it goes back to some of the success stories where we've exhibited it before as a team or as an industry or as a company. Uh, but, and, you know, Sean, another leadership tool that we haven't really addressed that applies to all five is what we tell ourselves over and over again. And, you know, whether you call it affirmation or auto-suggestion or neuro-linguistic programming or a mantra or a prayer or inner voice or self-talk, it's all the same thing. It's, it's how we communicate with ourselves. And, you know, frankly, um, it, it goes back to that formative age in our lives between four and seven where we go into that stage believing we've got all five components of motivational intelligence. We've got unlimited potential. We're unstoppable. We have no fear. I mean, you know, what, what, what's a child born with? I mean, what, they're not afraid of the dark because that was the first home. They're not afraid of the water because that's where they used to live. They're not afraid, afraid of tight spaces uh, because they love the womb. And, and, and you know, you, a newborn, you swaddle them, they, they stop crying. You know, it's, it's like, you know, we're, we're born with, I think, what, one or two fears, the fear of being hungry? I mean, what else? I mean, the fear of loud noises? Well, anybody's startled when they hear loud noises behind them. So it's like, maybe one fear, Yeah, all other fears have to be taught and conditioned in. And that happens between the ages of uh, about four and seven. And if you think about what happens in that very important stage of our development is we learn how to speak to ourselves. Yeah. And sadly, most people don't do a very good job. And they learn by an untrained professional, often the grown-up, one of them or two of them or three of them that raised them, and they're untrained, and they, you know, you're just a blank. You can only do blank. Um, you know, they ask why because I said so. So they 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 squash that, and they don't realize what they're doing. Um, but the the child between four and seven is trying to figure out how to speak to themselves. Yeah, and they start to carry that forward through the rest of their journey. Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons why I avoided math and science, because I was told I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> Maybe the grades actually told the story. Uh, <laughs> so I avoided it. Uh, and I carry that forward with me. And I, I wish I hadn't, because uh, I, I would like to be more formally educated in, in those really important areas. Um, but I, I believed what I was told. And, and, you know, so I've 
in one of the things we teach, of course, is re-examine how you talk to yourself. Yeah. Listen for that inner voice inside your head. What are the dominant themes, especially about creativity or innovation, especially about going in this new direction at work or that uh, uh, focus a- a in our home lives? What do you say to yourself over and over again? Yeah, well, and, th- and that awareness, I think, is I know um, for myself, uh, it, as soon as you get that awareness of, I think most people don't really even realize that they're saying these things to themselves. <laughs> like they don't even realize that the tape is getting played. It's well, just kind of autopilot. You know, the, the old saying goes, um, uh, you're either creating the voice or following the voice. Yeah. Uh, but, but without question, uh, as soon as we wake up, there's a conversation started in our head and we don't shut up until we go to sleep. Yeah. And, you know, very few people actually listen to the voice. Far fewer still engineer, proactively create the voice. And, you know, I said earlier, um, you know, I say the same thing every morning to myself. And the first thing is today I want to learn. And, and you know, the other one is stay above the line. Um, and what do you mean by stay above the line? You know, the, uh, the living above the line is where the h- higher forms of, of human emotion are, you know, uh, service, hope, um, gratitude, um, you know, the components of motivational intelligence all all live above the line, Uh, kindness, generosity, um, those wonderful uh, components of, 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 you know, really higher levels that we really have to be consciously aware of uh, versus the lower levels, you know, hate, envy, greed, um, giving up, uh, resignation, um, you know, superiority, ego, those are the lower levels of human emotion. And, and, you know, those are far easier and they take a whole lot less mental effort to embrace um, than the higher levels of human emotion. So, you know, examining our own affirmations, uh, how we speak to ourselves, especially the dominant themes, are, are really one of the keys to igniting innovation, creativity, or any change. Because if there are blockers, if there are affirmations that are really limited or flawed, um, those have to be examined and removed um, before we're actually going to be able to reach up for higher levels of, of performance and success. Yeah, well, and I think, yeah, it's, it's kind of is that two-step two, two or, or kind of two layers to it of, of one, even just being aware of what you're saying to yourself mm. uh, is, is the first part, and then two, actually understanding that you're in charge of that voice, that whatever is being said, you can change it. Yep. You can decide to say something else. It, you know, it's, it's, and it's, it's kind of this, you, people a lot of times look at it like, hey, it's, uh, it's, even if they are aware, it's out of, out of my control, or that's just, you know, that's just my brain, or whatever it yeah. is. Yeah. But they don't really realize that, hey, you could actually, like, adjust these settings a little bit. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a good way. Everybody should have a mixing board in, in front of them that where they, where they can yeah, change Yeah, now let's it. turn this one down, this one up. And, you know, it's, it goes back to this, this courage thing. And, you know, the, the I think it was a Reader's Digest article that said uh, the, the, the number one fear uh, is public speaking. And, and, and then, you know, I'm going, I'm going what are the That's other fears me. people have? And number two was death. So it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Speaking <laughs> in front of a group is the number one fear Americans have. And dying is, is the second one. I'm thinking, <laughs> well, maybe, maybe they're out of order there. And, you know, yeah, so right? it's like, okay, if you have to give a eulogy at a funeral, um, you'd rather be the one in the casket, apparently, <laughs> if, if that's the way the that thought. goes. 
but it, but it's amazing to me. I've, I've met so many people that put themselves down. Ah, oh, I hate public speaking. Oh, I'm not good at public speaking. And then I see them with their mates, with their friends, uh, with their coworkers, and they're like the life of the party. They're funny. Uh, they're 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 extemporaneous. They're they're not using a prepared speech. They're just talking off the cuff, and they're really quite engaging. So you know, most people I've met are really good speakers, and they're in public, and they're public speaking, and they're yeah. good at it. But they immediately throw themselves under the bus, yeah. and that's the problem. They underestimate their own worth and their own, you know, uh, acumen for for doing what it is that they've just put themselves. So you're right that the thought is the is the problem, and it has to be adjusted uh, on a dial or something. Uh, and you know, most people are, go through; they're very comfortable with their own stinking thinking because mm-hmm. they've thought these things so many times. Yeah, they're so comfortable. They're used to. Yeah. So they don't necessarily see the need to change. Um, but those that are the agents of change are, are the ones that really uh, get the not only motivational intelligence, but also uh, how we speak to ourselves and, and how to properly design and formally use affirmations. Yeah, well, and it's and it's amazing even just from a, uh, you know, you can kind of feel the the emotion of when you direct your your voice in a, in a certain way. You say one thing to yourself and you say another thing to yourself. You know, I think that's kind of, it, it could be, I, I know for me, this was, was a helpful exercise in kind of getting a feel for how powerful this could be is feel the emotion you feel when you'd say, yeah, I'm not good at that or I suck at that versus <laughs> I'm the man, I, I, yeah. I can do anything. And it's it's a completely different, you know, sense of, uh, it's a completely different emotion. And which one would you rather feel? Yeah. We, we have it all in our, in our bag of tricks. It's just that, you know, people choose to, to pull out, um, um, the, the wrong tools or, or use the tools uh, for the wrong purpose. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's part of the issue. Um, you know, it all goes back to uh, we have all five of these components um, and we abuse them our entire lives. And, and sadly, people overlook that fact. Um, uh, you know, we are born without skill uh, and all we are born with is motivational intelligence and the ability to innovate and create. And, you know, going back to that pure state of constant creation and innovation uh, is, is, is fun. Uh, I mean, it's, it is and, fun. And you can build a culture around it and just have crazy, fun conversations, some of which actually stick yeah. and, and become a, a, a new way of looking at what we do and how we do it. Uh, and then getting the world to look at what we do and how we do it a little bit differently as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. So I think, you know, that kind of wraps up. This, I think, was a, a great chat about about innovation and about culture and, and bringing those two things together. Um, John, any, any final thoughts or, or anything that you want to leave listeners with uh, to keep in mind? Well... Yeah, I'll, I'll go back to uh, Aristotle, and um, you know, a very learned man, uh, taught uh, very well by some uh, very powerful teachers, uh, and was a great teacher himself. He said, "We as human beings only find happiness when we are in the pursuit of something that give gives us a sense of growth and fulfillment." So, you know, being uh, goal-directed, being innovative, pushing ourselves to the next level, um, it does come with some risk, but it's far more fun 
and the and, and, and the growth that we feel. And then when we look back on our journey to realize all those milestones that we helped create, that we helped build, and yes, that we were scared at the outset, um, but we found a way to, to, to go go through it, to, to battle it, to recognize it, and then to put it down and to put courage in its place. Um, you know, these things are uh, open to all of us. And, um, you know, the more you uh, go down this path, the more you seek, the more you learn, the more you really try to expose yourself to motivational intelligence, the better off not only you'll be, uh, but those around you as well, um, because they'll be inspired by your new thinking uh, and, and your new behavior. Um, so we can all be a catalyst uh, for innovation uh, and, and creativity, uh, because that's the way we're built. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, John, this is a this is a great conversation. Um, I'm going to blow up your spot a little bit here and say, uh, if you're listening to this um, and you got a bunch of people that that you're trying to get on the same page and say. Uh, you know, build a culture of innovation within a team or, or within an organization, uh, find John on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you might get a flood of, of messages, John. Uh, I didn't tell you I was going to do that, but... <laughs> That's okay. Um, I'm, re- I'm really good at answering questions with questions. So bring on go. the questions. There you, know? you go. Socrates himself. Yeah. Um, all right, John. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for sitting down and uh, we'll, we'll do this again soon. You bet. Everybody, every day, you win or learn. Talk to you soon. Hey guys, one more thing before you take off. This is Motivational Intelligence Insider. It's just a very short, exclusive email uh, every Monday that comes from Dave, John, and the guests on this show. Uh, This is the only place they share their very, very best stuff, and it's delivered right to your inbox every single Monday. Uh, This could include exclusive tips for upping your game, uh, articles they're reading, videos they're watching, stories from the road, and on and on. It's the best way to kick off your week, and this content is uh, comes directly from Dave, John, and the guests, and is only available to subscribers of Motivational Intelligence Insider. So if you want these guys and gals to email you their best stuff, go to 2logical.com forward slash insider. That's the number 2logical.com forward slash insider, and drop in your email. And if you do, I hope you enjoy The Motivational Intelligence Podcast is produced by the team at 2Logical. 2Logical is an international corporate training firm and the world's leading expert in motivational intelligence, which is the ability to understand, manage, and change the motives people have. 2Logical offers over 30 different keynotes, workshops, and full training courses to small, medium, and large Fortune 500 companies in 53 countries, a lot of which you're probably familiar with. Advisor, Bank of America, GE, Constellation Brands, P&G, and more. All solutions are completely customized and the feedback from these sessions will blow your mind. If you have any training or speaking needs or just want to say hey, head over to 2logical.com.